Hey guys, welcome to the Coffee Unleashed podcast. My name is Alec and I'm your host. Um, we are here and excited uh, to continue on another episode uh, of our podcast as we talk about coffee, business, and everything in between. Uh, today we are on episode 39 and we have our good friend Joe Morocco from uh, Mill City Coffee uh, here with us. Um, chatting over the interwebs and uh we're gonna dive deep into um his journey and uh and what all that looks like um as you know uh, hopefully all of you are already subscribed but if you're not uh, make sure and subscribe to this podcast we upload new episodes every week uh, on apple Podcasts, google play and spotify uh, we've had some really exciting guests uh, including Joe and, and some uh, countless other guys and gals over the last couple months uh, that you're definitely going to want to go back and listen to. Um, so make sure and do that uh, and uh, and make sure to subscribe so you can get notified when we post new episodes. Uh, yeah, so excited to have everybody here and, uh, and excited uh, to chat some more with Joe. Um, yeah, so what we like to always ask our guests uh, when they come on is what coffee have you been enjoying lately? That is a wonderful question, um, and thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It's, no it's a great opportunity to just hang out and talk about some business, and hopefully I can help your listeners out a little bit. Yeah, sure. the coffee, the, when you, when you uh, kind of prepped me for that question, a few coffees popped in my head, but the mm-hmm. one coffee that is a standout is I was just recently traveling in Missouri in a small southwest city. Um, called Springfield, Missouri. Mm -hmm. And there is a a company there called Architect Coffee Mm -hmm. that is using Verve. And, you know, I I have had, I I would have to say probably hundreds of coffees that Verve has roasted, but I haven't had Mm -hmm. them in maybe two years for whatever reason. I just haven't crossed paths with Verve. And I had this Kenyan coffee, Southwest Missouri, and it truly has been the best coffee that I've had this year. It was outrageously good. That's awesome. So I, I bought a bag of it and brought it on the road with us for the rest of our road trip through Missouri. I can't mm-hmm. remember what the uh, washing station was. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I could off off the cuff, but I can't. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I've diving deep quick, just real quick into the coffee nerd world. I feel like the uh, Kenyans are always hit and miss sometimes. You know, they, mm-hmm. they feel... I would almost say delicate maybe when from a roast perspective, like you really got to take care of it and they can be done poorly as well as not, you know, as well as done really well. Um, so I'm always, uh, always a little scared sometimes when I, uh, when I interact with them. Yeah. A lot of times I think people really push to highlight the acidity in a coffee yeah. that is already so acidic. Mm-hmm. And so they leave so much to be unlocked in those coffees. And this tasted like a Kenyan coffee. If you can imagine all of the bright, um, mm-hmm. intense, like tamarind and tomato and blackberry and that kind of yep. thing that was there, it was present, but it was almost like they took all of those flavors and just dipped it in caramel. Okay. It was awesome. That's it was something. truly a, an unleashed coffee. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> something, uh, dipped in caramel is always solid. Yeah. Yeah. Go for that sweet spot. Yeah. Um, yeah. And do you find it, uh, I know I was just on vacation as well and, and, uh, stopped by a cafe in in Florida and, um, I find it 
like uh, when you're a cafe owner or maybe a roaster or, or somebody even in the coffee space it can sometimes be difficult to get me to buy a bag almost like I it's almost like my threshold has gotten a little bit higher not like uh, from a entitled standpoint but just more of like it takes a lot sometimes now to for me to pick up something like you said like where you're really excited about it. Um, and I don't know, that's just more of, uh, continually elevating your palate and continuing to, you know, want something more exciting or if it's just, we think we're awesome and just get more entitled. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've lately been trying to force myself to buy more coffee because, yeah. um, we work in the industry and so coffee, truly does just kind of grow on trees for us. We don't yeah. really have to think about buying it, yeah. but we're telling everybody to go out and buy it. And we're yeah. telling them what kind of affordable luxury it is. Yeah. But then we look at our pocketbook and say, Oh, well, you know, I get it for free. I'm not going to buy it. So we're not really practicing what we preach. Yeah. And so I, I want to buy it for that reason, but I also want to buy it because when you find those coffees that do just jump off the, the bar at you, um, honoring that roaster and that farmer yeah. and that uh, supply chain that facilitated it is a unique opportunity when that happens. So those coffees are super rare too. We get yeah. inundated with such good coffees, but yeah. you know, there's so much noise that having a coffee that good is super rare still. It's a miracle. Mm -hmm. So you got to buy it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where, you know, I am, I mean, you probably know too, the, we never have a shortage of coffee. You know, I never don't have a almost, I almost think I never don't have a full bag on my shelf at home. Uh, I don't know how that always happens, but you know, I never don't always have one. Um, so it's almost like for me, I just go to a cafe and if I really love what they did, then I'll buy a bag, you know, mm -hmm. I'll probably share it with somebody or, or make three, two or three different style cups. But it's difficult for me to drink 12 ounces, you know, a full 12 ounce bag. So it's almost like I just do the supporting end and then parcel the rest of it out or share it with other people or, you know, um, but yeah, I mean, when you always have a full bag on your shelf, it's sometimes tough to be like, yeah, I do need a 12 ounce bag. It's yeah, like, it's true. Oh, I need a, maybe I could have a one and a half ounce bag or something. <laughs> yeah. We need a, we need an industry size yeah, uh, industry offering on the shelf. <laughs> yeah, 20, 28 grams, please. And that's it. Uh, yeah, cool. Um, well, yeah, um, it's always, uh, I talked about it a little bit with, um, with our friends over at Ally as well. Um, just talking about traveling as a, as a coffee person and, um, uh, as well as sort of developing your palate out. And it's always interesting, I think, to try new coffees. Obviously there's a, there's a like shiny, uh, object syndrome sometimes mm -hmm. when you do that. Um, you know, uh, it, it's always, it always tastes sometimes better than the coffee that you have every day at, at your own cafe or something. But, um, how have you seen, you know, from a business perspective, going to other places and partaking in what they do and not just getting overly excited because it's something new, but, but, you know, taking some of that practically and then using it. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's of critical importance to anybody in any kind of, um, 
quality product industry to mm-hmm. cross pollinate what it is that they're focused on and working on. So I, I know that I have become a better roaster mm-hmm. from roasting on different equipment and tasting different styles of roasts, mm-hmm. um, and really venturing outside of the box of what I think is good or what I think is right. Yeah. Um, and I think that if we, if we're focused inwardly as a coffee roasting company or as a cafe, if we are, are just tasting our own stuff all of the time, it kind of becomes, well, there are two things that happen. One, we can get kind of bored to it. Um, and two, uh, we create an echo chamber where mm-hmm. we just do what we do because that's what's worked for a really long time. Yep. Um, but whenever you venture outside and you drink a coffee that's roasted more darkly than you would ever roast or more lightly than you would ever roast, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden the blinders kind of come off a bit and it can expand your uh, view. I do truly believe that there is a very um, real danger for coffee roasters in particular to become blind to certain flavors also. Oh, yeah. Yep. So if you're always roasting, roasting, roasting in a similar format on a similar yep. machine and tasting in a similar way, there may be a sneaky flavor um, that is creeping in that you're just completely oblivious to because you yep. taste it every day. And yep, yep. I taste those things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, certain companies, I know for a fact that their coffee is going to have a little hint of age because mm-hmm. they're blind to that flavor mm-hmm. and they start buying coffees that fit their roasting profile mm-hmm. and they fit their profile to kind of mask that a little bit. But the more they've roasted it, the more that they've masked it themselves. Yep. And so they roast it to where now it's revealed to everybody tasting it. Or the same thing on dark roast or the same thing on super light roast where I'll taste that, that grassiness, that hay um, on a, on a uh, older coffee, that papery note, yep. and those roasty coffees. One thing that I've been tasting um, that's almost becoming ubiquitous within small specialty coffee roasting companies is this flavor of just a hint of char and a hint of grass <laughs> because everybody's shooting for – a profile that has a very high rate of rise that, yep. that drops throughout the roast. Yeah. Um, and they have a destination point that does not facilitate a declining rate of rise unless they get the initial rate of rise really high. We're getting yep. geeky already, but Oh yeah. So they hit the coffee with way too much heat early, which kind of gives it a little scorchy flavor. Yeah. And then they drop the coffee too early later. Yeah. Um, which gives it that under roast flavor and they keep the middle of it too raw and the external part of it's a little too roasty. I taste that almost everywhere I go now. Um, it's like everybody's shooting for a nine to 10 minute roast profile and Mm -hmm. it's just, it's not, it's not doing them any favors. So getting, tasting other things can get you past that. Yeah. And I, and that's some of what we talked with, with Dean at, at ally is, you know, the importance of, you know, we we cup our coffees every week, um, but it can, you know, we're rotating coffees every three months. And, mm-hmm. you know, so that may mean we're, we're cupping the same coffees, you know, obviously roasted slightly different because we give our, our roaster a good amount of leeway to, to fluctuate. Um, but, you know, we may be tasting the same six coffees you know, 20 times, 20 different cupping sessions, obviously the coffee's aged and it's hopefully improved in quality 
from a roasting perspective, he's, he's gotten more comfortable with the coffee or, or whatnot. Um, but it, it's definitely something where, um, some of those flavors can be muted. And I think that has a little bit to do with, uh, we talked a little bit about taste preference that a, you know, the first, um, thing that comes to mind when, when you're tasting something and you have an underdeveloped palate is, um, you know, I like this or I don't like this where, okay. or this is good or bad, uh, tastes good or bad where a good chef or a good baker or something, they will say, well, that tastes like lemongrass or that tastes like caramel or that, you know, they don't lead with that tastes good or that tastes bad. It doesn't matter if it, you know, in, in that moment, if it tastes good or bad, that's not what they're doing. They're identifying what taste profiles are there. Um, they can have their own opinions as to whether they like that profile or not, but in order to truly identify flavors without being biased, we have to try to get past the, well, that tastes good or that tastes bad. It's like, well, it does it hit the notes that you're hoping for, you know, and then hopefully if you, you know, we always love, we try to as best we can talk with our importers and say, Hey, like we're not trying to, it, it's a weird business thing. Cause they sometimes think we're trying to steal some secrets or something, but we love to get coffee from other roasters that are using the same coffee that we're using maybe oh, yeah. in another area or if they're worried about that or something. But, uh, I always try to reach out to other roasters in you know, in the Midwest or something, um, that are maybe getting a similar crop and I can say, Hey, I'll shoot you samples. You shoot us some, I'd love to just see what you're doing with it. Uh, because the same idea, it's like, you know, are they finding something in there with their profile or their technique or whatever that maybe we don't see because, you know, we've been trained to roast a certain way or, or, you know, we have our fingerprint from a roasting standpoint. So we sometimes miss that. Um, also, or, yeah, you kind of, you kind of start where you, wherever you left off. So sure. what you only have to work with what you have already kind of accomplished. And so yeah. if somebody gives a roaster a new coffee, they're not going to spend 50 roasts diving into it in a million different ways. You know, they're going to do maybe three tops before that coffee has to be sold on the marketplace. And so you kind of fall in line with wherever it was that you left off with a similar coffee and you might take it a little further, but another company may take it in a totally different direction. Yeah. So this is one of the things that I like to um, point out to roasters is don't whenever you're trying to evaluate a new coffee or or get a um a profile put together don't do one roast and then one small standard deviation from it and one small standard deviation from that do three very different roasts on a smaller machine or at at a much smaller batch size so that you can see some major variance in that coffee and then you choose the direction you go from from there, um, to the taste thing that you're talking about. Um, I 100% agree with that. And the analogy that I've kind of come up with to describe that briefly is the, like, if there is a major event that happens, say a tornado rocks a town, yeah. 
Well, you see the reporter go out and talk to these people who are very emotional and they, they um, explain their feeling about the situation. And then the reporter reports on the feeling about the situation and then other scientific things around it. They kind of give a snapshot into exactly what happened, kind of separating themselves from the emotion of the situation. I think that when we're new to coffee or when we're a consumer of coffee, we're more of like the person on the ground. Yeah. But then as we become a professional, we're more like the reporter. And so I try to yeah. approach a cupping as if I'm the reporter. I am yep. gathering information from the cup. I'm recording that information and I'm not going to get emotional about the coffee, whether it's good, bad or otherwise. Yep. I record the information and then later on I can celebrate um, the coffee or I can, you know, smack talk it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that, um, you know, from a collaboration standpoint, um, you know, we talked about that as well with a couple other roasters on, on this podcast, but, um, just the importance of healthy competition. I almost talk, think about like, Mm um, I think we're so, so I think in the business world, we feel like competition equals, um, you know, lost sales maybe, or people are so afraid of, of competition that that in, in any industry, but they feel like if they're competing against someone, then they're losing sales. So they have to eliminate the competition in order to, you know, grow or, or, or take on, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, where, you know, that's not that way. And, sports or, you know, other things like that. You don't see, uh, other places obviously eliminating the competition and that's the only way they can improve, but they use the, you know, game or match or whatever as a way to improve. They prepare for it. And then, you know, they want to go up against the best. And I think that's something sometimes obviously roasting and, and the coffee industry is very neighborhood focused, very, uh, and even roasting is very solitary. So, um, you know, it can be easy to sort of hoard your, your secrets or, or you've worked really hard for them and, um, you don't want to give them away. And, um, but to me, we've just seen, you know, I've, I owe so much to other people in the industry, that I feel like it's my responsibility to cultivate that competition and, and have healthy competition. Um, and with that, I think it's like, I would love to continue to taste other people's coffees, you know, as well as Mm -hmm. I love if, when I, when I'm out there supporting other roasters, I'm, I'm supporting them because, I believe in their company or believe in what they're doing. And I think their product's good. If I don't think their product tastes good or, or, you know, and I'm a consumer, you know, then I'm not going to spend my money on it. But, um, if I believe in what they're doing and they're putting out a great product, I'm going to continue to support them. But, um, I think the competition is definitely something in the business sense that is hard to handle. Sometimes I don't know, I don't know if you've run into that with, you know, your guys's industry, as well as just talking with other cafes, obviously people want to create roast profiles and, and sort of hide them and, you know, hoard them for themselves. Um, that's always difficult for me to, uh, to fully understand. Yeah. Um, so I'll give a little bit of my background and kind of take you through a 
trajectory of my understanding of that competition due to kind of where I've been. I started as a barista about 15 years ago, just in a small cafe. And in that town, there was competition. But, you know, we had throwdowns and we had the yeah. Barista Guild of America. And that competition was starting to even break down um, at that point. Then I moved up in, in rank, I guess you could say, not to belittle baristas at all. But yeah. um, for every, you know, 50 baristas, there's probably one roaster. Yeah. And so I moved into roasting and that there's a little bit more competition. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was fortunate enough to work for a company. I worked for Caldi's coffee roasting company in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, and they were not shy about just simply saying straightforwardly, we don't believe in competition and we're not in competition with any other roaster in town. We're in competition with ourselves to be the Mm -hmm. best us that we can be. Mm -hmm. And their, their, uh, motto internally was constant improvement, which I think should be a motto for any roaster, any barista, any coffee yeah. person out there. Um, just every day, what can I do to be better at this? What can I do to make it taste a little better, to make my customer service a little better? What today can I do to make a small contribution to that constant improvement for the company mm-hmm. overall? And then from there, I moved up to importing, which there's probably 50 to 100 roasters for every one importing yeah. salesperson. Yep. Um, and so then every, every opportunity that I've had to kind of move, uh, bounce to a different position, I've been able to see a larger scope of the industry. So, you know, in a monthly basis, I would talk to hundreds of roasters while I was at the next position, which was at cafe imports where I was for about seven years. And, um, what I came to find out is that that competition thing is not necessarily because roasters or business owners are um, looking for an advantage to mm-hmm. domineer over their their competitive, um, yeah. you know, other companies in their region. It's because they're afraid. Yep. And that fear stifles our ability to be creative. It stifles uh-huh. our ability to look for help. It stifles our ability to communicate and to be open and to get new ideas, to try new things. And I began to realize that those companies that are super fearful, they were the ones that were saying, no, I'm not going to do a coffee exchange with you. No, I'm not going to, you know, they're saying no all the time, not because they think that they have an edge, but because they're they're afraid that the, the few things that they have come to grips with working would be taken from them and then mm-hmm. they'll fail. Yeah. And that is handicapping. So oh, yeah. it's basically looking in the mirror in the morning and saying to yourself, um, you're not good enough unless you rely on what you've already done. Mm-hmm. You're not good enough or creative enough to come up with something new to bridge the next gap that comes along. And that's a really sad state of affairs. So you <laughs> kind of have to jump out in a leap of faith on your own abilities and creativity that has brought you to where you are today that, you know what, if I share some information today, what if, what if I go into this meeting with this competitor in my town with a mindset of, um, not what am I going to get out of it, but what am I going to learn from this other person? And at the cost of me not being worried at 
all about what they're going to learn from me? What if I put all of that to the side and just share openly? Man, on the other side of that, those kind of conversations, you gain so much. And those mm-hmm. are the things that actually build the bridge for you to have the creative prowess and to have new experience enough to bridge that gap whenever the next business issue comes up or you know, whenever you get the next coffee that is just a lemon and you cannot figure it out in any way, well, now you have a bridge and yep. you can rely on something new as opposed to falling back on something old that you're already feeling is not good enough. Yeah. And I think, you know, in the coffee industry, we're so, at least in, I mean, obviously it's a service centered industry at the core. Most, most people are, you know, we're serving coffee physically, either in a retail environment or we're serving coffee to someone so that they can enjoy it at home or, or something like that. But it's all people-based service style industry. Um, and so, you know, what I've found is that people are buying us as a company. They're not necessarily buying the coffee. I mean, maybe that's the first thing that they do, or maybe that's the reason they bought one bag, but you know, it's the story behind it or, you know, the people or the baristas or, you know, our brand or a mission statement, because obviously if we're honest with ourselves, we at Indie Coffee don't have this insanely secret proprietary recipe that people only want to buy our coffee and no other coffee. That's the only reason they're buying it. It's like, Mm -hmm. No, they're buying something else because there's only obviously slight variation between the same 18 to 19 dollar a bag coffee from every coffee roaster in in our area. You know, it's not like we have something crazy going on. Um, but and, and so I think that's what helps us in our perspective not really be scared mm-hmm. is that. I believe that, yeah, I mean, maybe they go for a time and, 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 uh, and buy another coffee or, or enjoy it. Hopefully they do if they're a regular customer, but if they're a, if they're a wholesale client, they choose to end relationship with us and go, go with another roaster. Um, that's okay. That doesn't, you know, end our company because the people that do continue to be our customers, they're buying our brand. They're not just buying this one Ethiopian coffee that we do. Um, mm-hmm. and generally, you know, when we talk with our wholesalers, you know, we let them know that our coffees are changing all the time, but we want them to buy into our company and what we're about and our customer service. And, you know, that's, that's 90% of, of why they interact with us. And so, you know, we're not worried about if we let people know, Hey, this is how we keg cold brew. You know, we learned a lot from all these things and you're struggling with it. This is how we do it. This is how, you know, we set up our packaging room or this is how we uh, set up, you know, this is the ordering system we use or, you know, because our customers are buying us, you know, and and for other Uh business owners, especially service based ones. But I would argue majority of businesses, most of the time, your good customers are buying you. They're not really buying your product. Um and, uh, you know, so you variable doesn't change. Some, no exactly one can right, take yeah. you, you know, and that's what I share with, you know, with our roasting team. And that is like, 
you know, there's other smaller guys out there or other guys bigger than us and they reach out and have questions or maybe they step up to the roaster when we're roasting and ask, you know, Hey, what are you doing with X? It's like, we're open and honest, man. It's like, no one has my roaster, you know, no one has my roaster with, with our beans and our company and our mission statement and our, you know, so, you know, you can try to steal our mission statement and try to take, you know, our profiles or try to take our branding or whatever. And, but it's still not going to be the same thing, you know, um, cause it's just bigger than that. Um, so that's where I wish that there is an easier way to alleviate some of that fear. You know, it's, it's hard. Um, it's hard to alleviate that when you're in the industry, I think, um, it almost, it almost takes someone outside of the industry or maybe outside of that competition pool to be like, Hey, this isn't a big deal. You guys don't all have to be afraid of working with each other, you know? Yeah. That's, that's one of the things that has been, uh, uh, I guess one of the thrills of the job that I have now at Mill City Roasters is that we have the opportunity to talk to, um, hundreds of new to the industry roasters per month. Um, not that we're selling hundreds of machines, but we're getting Mm -hmm. tons and tons of calls, um, all of the time. Um, and people are coming to our, to our classes in Minneapolis. They're coming to our classes on the truck that we're driving around and Mm -hmm. they are learning together from the very beginning. So from the inception of their business, we have the opportunity to lay some groundwork and say in this industry, we believe in collaboration, cooperation, open exchange, open ideas, um, we have open source education on our YouTube page. Everything is open and laid out so that um, we kind of dispel that by not even mentioning that that is how things have been in the past. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so their introdu- introduction to this industry, they think, oh, wow, I just need to be open with these people in the room with me and build a collaborative base. And that's what they mm-hmm. do. They leave our classes with new Facebook groups and they go out into the world and they lean on each other for information. They do coffee exchanges. They send us coffee. We send them feedback. Yeah. It's like a really cool thing to be a part of. And we think that we're kind of building an army of new to the the world roasting companies that have a different perspective than what kind of the old guard has, has had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just like, I don't know. It's, it, it goes all the way back to that, you know, importance of trying other people's stuff, you know, and whatever it is, you know, if you're a, if you're a chef going to other restaurants or, um, if you're a, a baker going to other bakeries or, you know, because it's only going to help you improve. It's like, you can't have such a lack of self-confidence that, you know, you assume that everyone else in your, in your town is doing things worse than you. So, you know, you just avoid going to every other place because you don't want to find out that someone's doing it maybe tastes better than you or something. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, well, I mean, everybody's where they are. You know, we have perspective, too. There's there's coffee roasters in our area that have been doing it a lot longer, you know. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, I hope that their product is more fine-tuned and better. Or better is obviously relative, but uh, more fine-tuned or maybe more streamlined or whatever. And there should be things that we can learn from them as well as, you know, learning from – there's things that they can learn, fresh perspective from us. Um, and it's not a matter of whether one is better than the other. It's like – 
well, you know, each, each guy has a, each guy and girl or company or whatnot has a, has a place in this area, you know, specialty coffee specifically is still a super small percentage of coffee consumed. You know, there's a, there's a large quantity of coffee drinkers out there that are, that are still heavily untapped and many of which live, you know, within a close distance of all of our spaces. So, um, I think the other problem, obviously, with really any business industry or uh, specialty coffee in general is we're all fighting over the same customers instead of trying to create new customers um, because it's harder to, you know, to convert a, a gas station coffee drinker into a, you know, single origin pour over drinker. You know, it's a yeah. lot it's a lot easier to to take the guy that hops around on to all the specialty shops and get him to come to your shop. Um, but you know, our goal is to obviously expand the coffee world and, um, and, and our coffee community. So that means that we got to meet some people where they are sometimes. And, uh, as well as just learn from other pros in the industry. And, um, if I've always seen if, if that's a struggle in your area, you know, then you got to be the first one to, you know, reach out or, or be the one to give, um, you know, never complain that, you know, well, we're, we don't have a good community or we you know no one ever collaborates or whatever. It's like, well, have you set up a, you know, business retreat in your community and, and hosted it at your space and invited everybody to come in and talk? If you haven't, then, you know, you don't have a lot of room to say, um, but it's like, if you want to see something change like that, you know, you got to make something you know, make something happen. And I think that's a lot of what you guys have tried to cultivate up, uh, up where you guys are, where you guys are at. Yep. That's true. Yep. So yeah, I don't, I'm, it's, uh, it's a continued, you know, uh, I think obviously we're in a, we're in a different world right now. You know, so many new cafes and and coffee companies are popping up, uh, Mm -hmm. but there are still so many, uh, coffee companies that have been around for a while. And, uh, you know, it's almost like a meshing of, of both worlds or both generations, I guess. Yeah. And another thing that I think that we need to realize is who our customer, who the consumer of the specialty coffee cafe experience is. And that that consumer is more of a specialty minded person. Mm-hmm. And because of that, they are much more likely not to settle for one specific thing yeah. because they're curious. They have a curious yeah. palate. And that curiosity is not satiated by loyalty. It's satiated by um, adventure. Yep. And so, and especially as we venture closer and closer to being like a bar, you know, with nitro yep. cold brew, cold yeah, brews yeah, of all yeah. different kinds, lots of different mocktail drinks and coffee beverages with lots of fun bitters. And, you know, all of that stuff, are, we're changing our scene to be more like the bar scene, but like for somebody that would go to the bar at night, they may come to a cafe in the morning for the same yep. kind of feel, but go to work sober. Yep. Um, that consumer is never going to be satisfied by drinking, you know, fat tire every single day. Yeah. Yeah. Nor yep. are they going to be satisfied by drinking your cold brew every single day. Yep. But whenever they talk to their other specialty minded, um, adventurers, adventure drinkers, they're going to say, Indie coffee was my favorite coffee that I've had in the last month. Mm-hmm. And that means the world. 
Yeah. Um, and so if we're, you know, not to say that we always need to be pursuing whatever's trending or anything yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. but if we are going to be cutting edge and if we are going to be um, appealing to a specialty market, we need to celebrate the fact that they're going to be going to other places in town and that they're going to be um, talking to other roasters in town and all of that. That That is building our industry. And there's this concept of, well, I like to think about this in terms of a tightrope versus the, the safety net under the tightrope. Mm-hmm. If we're the only act in town, that's great. Everybody comes to us, but we're walking a very thin tightrope because if the mm-hmm. trend changes or if the, um, if the financial world changes or anything, there's nothing to fall back on. Um, the same thing is kind of true for, from a sales perspective. I, I kind of use this analogy in terms of like, if you're a roasting company, like you are, um, and that opportunity comes along to sell coffee to a company that's going to buy 10 times more than any other company in town or any other company you're dealing with, that's also a tightrope company. Mm-hmm. And if something goes wrong and you bank on that kind of business, yep. then everything kind of falls apart and unravels. And I've seen that happen so many times. So yep. thinking about the fact that those other companies in your area, those other companies that are maybe competitive with you, um, when you consider the fact that they're actually growing new customers where they are, that will eventually make their way to your cafe. Now, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, it's mm-hmm. much more of a collab collaboration and not a competition. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I look at it like, um, you know, I almost look at it like you're on the same sports team, for example. You're all pay- all necessarily playing different positions. But, you know, you're all batting, you know, if we think Mm -hmm. baseball, you know, you're all batting, you know, and maybe and you're all trying to move the coffee culture ball forward. You're all trying to win the game, you know, as a team, uh, which is creating more customers, growing our community, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, you got to know that the number three batter is is in competition with the number four batter. They want to, you know they're psyched when they get a hit, but they also want to learn from that person so they can get a better batting average or they, you know, so it's definitely different than, you know, two competing people together, but almost like we're on the same team and we have that healthy growth, you know, competition at the same time. And, um, I think we, we definitely forget when we open a company, we forget what it's like to be the customer because, you know, when I was a customer, I loved going to new places all the time. You know, I loved, I loved trying new cafes and trying new coffees. I was one of the least loyal and not in a bad way, but just one of the more nomad style coffee drinkers mm-hmm. out there. And that's just cause that's typically the specialty coffee, you know, adventurer, like you said, um, obviously every cafe has their, you know, regulars that come to the cafe, not necessarily just for the coffee, but the community, um, but yeah, I think we forget what some of those customers were running after that, you know, they may, they may come to each cafe once a week, you know, they're not mm-hmm. coming to yours five times a week. Um, and, uh, a new cafe comes up, they're probably going to go and check it out and maybe they won't be at your cafe for a couple weeks. Um, but again, it's, it's like, you know, how do you build that impression, uh, of a positive impression? That's, that's more of the big thing, like you were saying. Yeah. And I think, 
you know, the, the way that a lot of people think about it whenever they're starting their cafe is, oh, I have to beat these other companies in town. And so I need an espresso machine that's a little shinier. Yeah. I need this, this uh, cold brew system that has a glass tower that looks amazing. <laughs> I need to have all of these things when really they should probably be focused on how can I build my ability to be more empathetic to my customer base or yeah. how can I help the the flow so that the customer is able to get their drink much more exactly yeah. and in less time. And those are the kinds of things, the things that you have to build inside of your own person. Yeah. Um, the things that you have to find in the staff that you hire and how you train the, those staff. Yeah. That's what kind of starts separating you out from the pack and that make the major difference. The toys, the trendy things, yeah, those come and go, uh-huh. but all of the, um, successes and failures are much more likely to help a company grow if you have people that have strong character running the company and uh and as employees within that business yeah i mean it all comes back to people i think that you know that's we all have been to the flashy cafes in the area that you know have all the cool stuff and uh, but it, it just feels shallow eventually if there's not a wide base of solid people interaction a great staff and and they have you know core values or a mission statement that's bigger than just you know they're pulling single origin geishas all the time you know eventually you know that flash is going to run out and um and they're going to be left with something hopefully it's something bigger than uh bigger than just the flashiness mm-hmm. yeah and they're so. they're automatically pulling in those customers that want to be on trend yeah and that should tell you that as soon as my trend wears off, these oh, yeah. customers are going to be gone. Yep. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, I appreciate some of the time and, and hanging out a little bit. Um, I could chat forever about uh, all of that stuff and um, excited to continue to to grow um, our connection and stuff with uh, with you and, and, and uh, Indie Coffee and um, – so, uh, as far as Mill City goes, um, is there anything that um, our guys can be looking for as far as the the truck being around, or maybe some classes coming up, or anything like that? Yeah, the Mill City classes, I cannot recommend them enough. We have kind of altered the way that we've been doing them. Um, up until now, you've been able to kind of take classes as individual classes. You could take a sensory class, or a cupping class, or a uh, I'm sorry, yeah, an extraction class or the roasting class, but we're smashing those together. Mm -hmm. Um, We've also brought on a new person named Lauren Lathrop, who was at Portland Roasting Coffee for like seven years, I think it was. And before that worked for another very, very uh, cool company in Portland. Um, And she is a USBC head judge and on that committee that basically makes competition rules and regulations. Um, and is a WBC or a world barista championship judge. And she's going to be doing barista classes and Mm. not just from the perspective of helping baristas be better, but, um, for those companies that, you know, where you have a trainer that's training baristas or a trainer that's making a, a barista training program or an owner that needs to hire a trainer. Uh, she has the perspective to bring all of that to those classes And then our roasting class, we're going to bookend with the sensory class before and the extraction class after. 
So people can uh, basically get a discount if they come for a four-day more intensive class. Start with the um, sensory. That kind of builds in some green coffee evaluation and analysis. Then you go into the roasting class for two days, and then you go into extraction. Because how are you going to sell roasted coffee if you don't really speak the language of the people that are buying it? And then uh, if they want to stick around, that those classes are, are um, Wednesday through Saturday. And if you want to stick around, Sunday would be a day off, and then Lauren's barista classes will be on Mondays and Tuesdays after. So people can kind of knock it out in one fell swoop. But also, like you said, we have the truck. So we're going to be bringing that out on the road more. I was just in Atlanta with the truck. And to explain the truck, it's a um, Peterbilt semi that has four coffee roasting machines, two espresso machines, two coffee brewers and basically, you know, all the bells and whistles that you want mm-hmm. in a coffee lab, but it's on the road. And so yep. we were just in Atlanta at the Roaster Guild retreat. Um, and Steve Green, the owner of Mill City Roasters is on the road right now driving it to LA. So I'll be flying out to LA this weekend for Coffee Fest LA. Mm-hmm. And we just do classes out of the truck. So come and see us kick the tires on the roasters, learn something. And um, yeah, we're trying to grow the industry. Yeah, for sure. And I think uh, obviously we'll link um, your website and and some of those education courses in the description. And um, you guys have been a game changer, I know, for our roasting team and just that transparency. You know, there's not a lot of uh, transparent training out there uh, for um, roasting specifically, but, you know, really business in general. Uh, there's a lot of people that are looking to like make a lot of money on, uh, sharing some of those, uh, basic tools. And, um, obviously you guys go heavily deep, um, in your, in your paid courses, um, and a a huge value there, but obviously you have a big value add and even the, the stuff you offer online on YouTube and, and on your website. And, uh, it's a big, uh, a big recommendation for anybody in the roasting industry or coffee industry in general, uh, to check out that stuff and, um, and, uh, and learn a little bit. Um, yeah. So, uh, we appreciate it, man, all the time that you've spent and, uh, and, uh, being able to meet in person, uh, at coffee fest. And, um, if anybody out there has got, uh, questions uh, about that and you're in the LA area or um, you're wanting to jump on a class, make sure and hit the link in the description. Um, They're uh, always available for that stuff. I'm going to love to chat. Um, And as always, guys, make sure that you subscribe uh, to our podcast on Apple, uh, Spotify, or Google Play. Uh, We post regular episodes every week. uh, And we've got, again, some really exciting guests continually coming up uh, the rest of the year. Um, But thanks again, Joe, for being here. I really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, Let's do it again sometime. For sure. Thanks a lot. Uh, Thanks, guys, so much for listening. And always remember to enjoy your coffee unleashed.